Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. I'm here with my good buddy and real estate expert, Kenny McElroy. We're going to do a deep dive into these issues with the commercial real estate market, these regional banks. It's going to be absolutely incredible. But before we do, we want to talk about Rebel Capitalist Live. You can go to your you can get your tickets at rebelcapitalistlive.com. It is Orlando, May 12th through the 14th. And Kenny McElroy is going to be there live. He's going to be doing an incredible presentation. You can go right up to him. You can buy him a beer <laughs> or he'll <laughs> buy you a beer. <laughs> and you can ask him your question, shake his hand. We got incredible speakers like Peter Schiff, Jeff Snyder, Lynn Alden, just to name a few. So you've got to go to rebelcapitalistlive.com and get your tickets ASAP. Kenny. Lots to talk about, my friend. What's going on? Oh, uh, first of all, for, for my viewers who, are not, who aren't familiar with kind of what you do, can you just give them a short Reader's Digest version, and then we'll get right into this uh, commercial real estate topic? Sure. Uh, well, this is our 22nd year in business. We've been buying multifamily, office, uh, condo, storage projects. Uh, we're ground-up development. We've got about 300 employees and um, very seasoned company. We have, well, Right now, we have about $2 billion in assets that we own. And uh, we have, uh, you know, thousands of investors in our projects over the years. Uh, we have a management company, development company, construction company. So literally canvassing the United States right now for the right markets, the right projects, still looking very actively. Uh, we have people in, uh, in lots of markets right now as we speak looking for deals. And we're, we're offering maybe one to three, four a week. Uh, and so very, very, very in tune with stuff that we own on the yeah. refinance side with all our debt, our construction, and of course, anything that we're trying to buy and what, what sellers and brokers and markets are doing. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, Kenny, you and I talk all the time. And I remember this was our event in Arizona. So this would have been maybe nine months or something like that. But uh, I remember vividly you saying how interest rates are impacting commercial real estate back then and this was way before silicon valley bank or signature and you were saying that the interest rates going up so fast would bring up the cap rates and uh that and then in addition to that what's because there's more there's higher yield competing for those commercial real estate dollars in other words and also you said because the interest rate was going up so much on this debt now all of a sudden the revenues go down and that makes the cap rates go up even further, which makes the sale price yeah. the value of those properties go down even faster. I mean, you were talking about this nine months, a year ago, and now we're seeing it kind of play out right in front of our eyes. Yeah. You know, so George, it, as you know, there's really three components to cash flow. There's income expense, which in all, you know, for a lot of people has not changed that much. So think about yeah, that right. a year, two years ago. So, you know, a little bit, you know, there's cases uh, here and there. What's really changed is the cost of debt or the mortgage payment. So mm. that's gone up so much that cash flow has gone down. So you got income expenses minus debt is cash flow. It's really that simple. So cash flow goes down. People are like, hey, I'm not going to pay the same price for that because everybody's solving just like we are. You are. Where are we going to put our cash and, and where are we going to invest it? Right now, it seems like, you know, three month T-bills are better than anything, right. you know, five percent so you know so these are choices investors have and you know and at one time they were apartments or multifamily and or an office and retail and all that other stuff it's really 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 tampered down 
I think, but the the real problem, we may see multiple problems here as 2023 progresses, but correct if I'm wrong, the big problem right now is office space. So do you have any buddies that are in that area? And uh, I don't I'm what on earth are they doing? Well, there's so many stories. It's crazy. So imagine this, guys, before we go down that road, imagine, you know, you, by the way, the, your listeners, they might be in a pension or some kind of fund that owns a downtown office building in L.A. or New York or Chicago. Doesn't really matter. You just don't right. know sometimes where that money is. OK, and that thing's been vacant for two, three years. A lot of those work from homes. Those are permanent. Not all of them. But, you know, if, if you're if you're in that and you have a whole floor, let's say, and your lease comes up, you're you're making a choice. OK, do I one not re renew Two, do I do I really significantly downsize um, uh, or or three? Do I just, you know, completely uh, go somewhere else? Uh, you know, those are your choices. A lot of people are. You, you know, doing all kinds of those, but most people are just not re-upping at their old size. So, so, oh, you so have they're, this they're just wanting less square footage. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we're finding some of the big corporate offices or some of the bigger companies. You know, we had, I own an office building actually, and, and it was a mortgage company. Okay. I, one guy mm -hmm. told me he had 19 people and now he's at home with a processor and, a, and, a, and an admin. So, wow. you know, the, this stuff's happening. The ripple effects that, you know, the, the real estate offices, the title companies, the mortgage companies, you know, as you would imagine. And that's just them. That's just real estate. So uh, to your point. So what happens when there's less renters, le more vacancy um, and, you know, and people are fighting to get those filled? What's happening is all of a sudden they still have the same expenses. Don't forget. Taxes don't go down. Insurance doesn't go down. Utilities don't go down. No, that goes down. Right. What goes down is income. So all of a sudden they can't service the debt. So all that stuff's starting to crack now. And, um, you know, so to your point, we're starting to see big office portfolios and office buildings in big, big, big trouble. And um, it's typically held, the big downtown stuff is typically held by big Wall Street institutional. That's not, you and I aren't going to buy a 50-story office building in New York City. You know, right. that's going to be, you know, a big Black Rock. Black Rock or something. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So, but the small regional stuff, you know, like I own a 30,000 square foot office building myself cash flows like crazy i bought it like 10 years ago um and you know we're starting to see those kinds of things on a much smaller level and i've owned some stuff before so that is probably the first most obvious thing and what we're starting to see is we're starting to see people try to convert it into housing so we're you know because you got a physical building um, and they're saying oh i can take that building and i can perhaps convert it into residential housing uh, that's a whole podcast. It's very complex. And, and um, but that's that's kind of the first crack. And you would and it's obvious once you say it. the other one is retail and malls. Right. So with the direct to consumer uh, Amazon phenomena. Yeah. You know, I did a story the other day on Kyle Bass. I'm sure you know who he is. He came out and he said that in his opinion, they're just going to have to start tearing these things down. He goes because he he's thought you can tell his fund has has looked at that option as far as buying these huge buildings that you could get for, you know, 10 cents on the dollar and turning them into residential. And he says one of the big issues that you have there is, is, is just plumbing, number one. And he says, number two, even if you are able to turn that building into residential, it, it 
the, the way they're set up is just kind of weird. He was talking about the windows. And it, even if you were able to set set it up for residential, he said it's probably not a building where you'd actually want to live. And right. so and so what I did in that video is I'm trying to think this through. I'm like, okay, well, what's the end game there? And he's talking about, well, just tearing them down. And I'm like, right, but that's going to cost something. It, that's not free. So say it costs a million dollars to tear the building down if you just want the, the, the land. and But the land's 500 grand. Even if you get that building for free, you're still not going to do the deal because you're uh, yep. you know, you're $500,000 in the hole just to, to begin with. So I was thinking maybe you keep a few tenants in there and then you turn the floors into, I was even thinking maybe storage, Yeah, you know, like a U-Haul storage for one of the, the, the floors. And then, so what you're doing basically is you're accustomed to getting a hundred thousand dollars per year, let's say, as far as cash flow. Now you're just going to have to adjust that down to let's say, 20,000 a year moving forward, that's going to be realistic. And that's where the prices are going to have to adjust. But I, I'd love to get your opinion on that. Yeah. I, I've had friends do that. I have, I've had friends convert office buildings to storage. I've had a friend, I had one friend buy a big shopping center with a, what used to be a, like a Safeway in it. And that moved and relocated to a bigger store, bought that, converted that into storage. You know, the actual structure itself, and then you don't have to fight the city. It's it's a remodel um, mm. that, that, that can speed things up a lot. And so, yeah, that the repurpose or we, what we call change of use, that's actually what will happen, whatever the change of use is. So you take an apartment building and convert it to condo. That's a change of use, you know, and typically to your point, sometimes it's not even worth zero because as you, like you said, it's, it's zero plus, you know? And so uh, Ross and I are looking at a, you know, uh, a lot of these retailers are also, you know, when a, when a big, when a, when a big, uh, let's say anchor in a, in a retail center leaves, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter what it is, but um, you know, that kills all the small ones. So, right, right, right. So we we're looking on right now, a big corner, uh, where we rip the whole thing down and and put up apartments and so that's starting to happen uh you, you know as the, those those little those little mom and pop it's, i hate to see it actually you know because that's the that's the lifeblood of america but um you know when 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 they, they they're closing slowly whether it's a restaurant or a massage place or a little fitness place or whatever it is they're they're closing and so you know, we will, we buy those centers and, you know, and it's worth X, but it's X plus because you got to demolish it, get it, you know, level and then, and then uh, redesign. Yeah. So they can't even sell it for the land value because you have that cost to tear down. They have to right. sell it. Basically what you're saying is they have to do land value minus whatever it costs you, the developer to tear it down. So if they've got a piece yeah. of land that's worth a million dollars, but it's going to cost you 500 grand to demo it. They yep. can, even though it's worth a million bucks, they can only sell it for 500 grand. That's right. And then there's other issues too. You know, there's environmental risk, you know, like um, things that, you know, when it was built and all that stuff. So, you know, as a developer, you got to be careful of all that, you know? Um, so yes, all that stuff starting to happen now and, and uh, uh, it will continue to happen, but it ha it's happened in all the cycles, you know, like anything new, uh, in the middle of town used to be something else. If you go back and look, you know, that corner yeah. was something else years ago. Yeah, exactly. So what are you seeing with the banks, Kenny? Because I know you do a lot with these. I'm assuming yeah. the regional banks. I was doing a story the other day and it said like 
I don't know what the number was, like 80% of these commercial real estate loans are coming from the Silicon Valley type of banks. So if we assume a lot of these real estate loans are assets on those banks' balance sheets, and those assets might not perform that well, putting it mildly, uh, you know, coming into a recession, then how does that impact those banks' willingness to lend? So when those commercial landlords, when they're when they have to roll over that debt, they go back to their bank and say, "Hey, I need to roll this over. I know it's going to be a higher interest rate, but is there a possibility of that bank just saying, "No, we're not going to lend you at any interest rate because we're getting out of the commercial real estate lending business." You, there's a bunch of issues there that I want to cover. The first one is I don't think that the that the person holding the asset can even do it. So you mean roll so over at, the debt? Correct. Yeah. I, I, I yeah I think that's actual issue. So if you go back and take a look at what people did, let's say just in the last couple of years, if they have any kind of floating debt or they have any kind of mature any debt maturing, let's say, they're in trouble because. The cap rates are up at least 20, uh, down 20% or they're up, but the values are down less, at least 20%. So let's right, just right. do the math. Let's say, let's say it's a $50 million apartment building and they put 15 million down and they have 35 of debt. Fast forward. Let's say they did all the work they said they were going to do, but the cap rates are 20% higher or they're, they're a point higher, let's say, uh, which actually makes the value of the building 20% less. So that $50 million building really is a $40 million value today. Mm, so they right. bought it for 50, it's worth 40 and they have 35 in debt. So they are not going to be, they go back to the bank now and say, well, the bank's going to say, you only got 5 million of equity here. When we let you, uh, you were at 15. Um, and by the way, we were at 3%. Now we're at six. Right. So the, the, you know, I'm not going to figure out exactly what the loan would be, but they're going to, they're going to do probably a 50% loan to value on that third, you know, on the 40. So now you're at 20 for the loan with a 35 um, maturity. Right. So, they're trying to, they're, so bottom line, they're trying to, they're, they're trying to roll over 35 million worth of debt and yeah. the bank is only willing to give them 20. Correct. So, and so where, that's where do they come up with a 15 Delta? That's it. You got it. So, so what, what, what we've done, George, which I, I was excited because I know we're going to be at the collective here in May. I was going to tell you all about this. So I've done two bail-ins or two uh, uh, cash-in refis. So think about that. Okay. So everybody talks about cash-out refi, cash-out refi, refi till you die, all that stuff. You know how Jason says. Right. I did two cash-ins. So what does that mean? I'll give you the math real quick. It's actually – so we have a property that – we but we built so i've owned it for 10 years it's getting a little dated we said you know let's refinance and let's pull some cash out and then let's you know let's freshen this thing up new appliances new this new that so during that time the rates went up we're like uh oh so our, our cash you know our mortgage payments going up our cash is going down um and we're like uh oh so our cash flow went uh from seven hundred fifty thousand a year to 500 okay wow. and, Okay, because of the debt, that's it, right? right and by right, the way, right. I'm getting new rents. So Ross and I are sitting there, okay, how much is, and by the way, we had a rate cap, which we paid 25 grand for, uh, but the renewal rate cap was a million. So we're like, okay, we're not going to do that. So, so what the rate it, cap, can you just to be clear here, that's you buying insurance on yep. future interest rate hikes. You got it. Yeah, so you're basically, you're, you're at a certain rate and then you just buy a cap just say, okay, uh, we're not going to pay more than this. You know, it's right. just a, um, 
And that actually is what got a lot of people in trouble. But here's the here's here's what we did. The we had to do uh, we went back to the bank and we negotiated a five point two percent interest rate. To your point, we just walked through the math and uh, and they said, OK, in order for you to do this, it's going to cost you nine hundred eighty grand. So Ross are like done. So we put nine hundred eighty grand on a cash in locked the rate at five two. It increased our cash flow back to to um, seven hundred fifty. So, you know, call it a four year payback. So, you know, a million dollar loan to get, you know, to, to cover for four years. But our cash flow goes up seven, goes up 250 grand. Because you're paying off principal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and we're, we're actually refinancing an old uh, debt with a new debt. But, um, you know, when all the math worked out, we had to put another 980 in. So that's a cash in. Most people aren't used to cash ins. But I was all I was trying to do was was hedge my future i'm like i want to be at 5.2 uh next year the year after the year after the year after how, the year after. how long were you able to lock that in kenny that 5.2 uh 10 years for for basically a million bucks yeah yeah and a year ago you know we did a cash out for less right so or two years ago, probably. Uh, and, and so that the point is interest rates are really messing with the commercial real estate. And, and you know, if you own this stuff, in my opinion, you got to hedge, your, uh, you got to hedge that interest rate because that's your biggest risk. And a lot of people are running out of cash yeah. and a lot of people didn't buy rate caps. And a lot of people are, are, uh, are in big, big trouble because when that loan matures or that rate cap expires, uh, they're done. Yeah, because they don't have the cash to do the cash in. You got I mean, that's, it. That's the key here is you and you keep saying Ross, that's your business partner. Yeah, yeah. You, Sorry, yeah. Ross you guys is my have been partner. doing this long enough and you're smart enough and you're conservative and prudent enough to make sure that you got all this cash on the sidelines to ha handle a, a rainy day scenario like we're living through right now. So then you can not just be a victim of what's happening, but you can also turn this around and use it to your advantage because you have so much of this cash on the sidelines because you're very conservative with your LTVs and whatnot. So I'm assuming what you and Ross are doing now is saying, okay, let's look at our portfolio. Let's hedge all of our bets. And then after we've done that, then let's go ahead and wait to see how this plays out and see what type of opportunities arise from all these people were, that were far less prudent or far less experienced. Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Got a quick question for you. Are you someone that realizes we are headed straight for an economic recession, maybe even worse? Do you also realize that the government is trying to restrict your freedom, liberty, and privacy on a daily basis? We've all heard in the news lately about central bank digital currencies, and it's not a matter of if we get them. It's simply a matter of when. But although you know we're facing all of these problems, you don't know what to do about it. How do you protect your wealth or grow your wealth when we're dealing with a very volatile economic environment? Or how do you maintain or increase your freedom and privacy when we have this woke Orwellian government that's trying to micromanage your life? Well, fortunately, got some good news for you. I have set up an event that is focused on helping you the rebel capitalist finds solutions to these problems. It's all set up to help you build wealth and thrive in this world of out of control central banks and big governments. That event 
is Rebel Capitalist Live. It's going to be absolutely incredible. It's in Orlando, May 12th to the 14th. We're going to have speakers like Peter Schiff, Mike Maloney, Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, Jeff Snyder, Robert Barnes, just to name a few. So to get more information on how you can attend this incredible event that's going to give you actionable intel that will help you prepare for the rest of 2023 and beyond, go to rebelcapitalistlive.com, and I will see you in Orlando. So I always tell everybody, George, and you know, my whole career was based on 6 and 7% interest rates. I mean, almost my entire career. Right. So what we just went through was a pure gift. So we're just back to what I'm used to, 6%, 5%. I'm okay with that all day long. The only problem is the asset prices are too high to support right. that at the moment. So, you know, we, we you know, if, if we want to just hedge that, and the, to the point is when we were at 6 or 7%, let's say 10 years ago, rates went down. We were happy, right? Cause so, so what we're doing is we're hedging the upside. We know that we're not going to be above five and a quarter, let's say. Um, and, you know, if they go down, then we can refi again. So yeah. all we're doing is just uh, to your point, we're just doing an insurance policy, fixing the rate and moving on. So we don't have um, the, the, the interest rate risk hitting us later. Yeah, but the key is you had the cash. A lot of guys don't have the cash. So what happens to them and how are you and Ross going to take advantage of that? <laughs> well, that we're working on a distress fund right now, you know, yeah, because yeah. there's going to be people that, you know, I saw this in 08. There's going to be people that aren't going to be able to hold on to the project and the, the either the equity is going to step in or the debt is going to mature and they're going to uh, they're going to be in trouble. My guess is right now they're scrambling, trying to raise L extra LP money. I'm hearing a little bit about that, the limited partner money. So the partners are already in the deal um, to try not to lose it. I actually looked at one two weeks ago in Phoenix and uh, I said, man, this thing's done. It just it's not worth the paper. Uh, we had our analysts, our, our acquisition guy look at it. it's 400 some units. And uh, the reef, the, the debt that they put on uh, was going to be more than what I thought it was worth um, wow. with. Yeah. So we passed on that one. Uh, we could have stepped in on the GP side and and taken that. But as I as I like to tell you, I didn't want to catch a falling knife, you know. So how do you think that let's use that deal as an example? How do you think that one plays out? What, what do you think the end game is there for the owners currently? Well, the very first thing I said is that the LPs are are gone and they don't know it yet or they're wiped out. Right. Yeah. The the now that's based on today. If rates go down in the next year, you know, and and the market starts to stabilize and cap rates start to go down again, they could survive, I, I would suppose. But as of today, the 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 equity that was originally put into that deal is completely gone. The only thing left is the debt. And in my opinion, based on that deal, the debt is actually more than the property's worth. So even the bondholder or the debt holders will, will take a haircut. Uh, but basically, the, the owner is just going to give the keys to whomever owns the debt. And then they take the keys, they liquidate, and they only get back 50 cents on the dollar. 
I think, yeah, I think what will happen is, yes, first of all, all the LPs will be gone. Then, yeah. then what would happen is the, the debt holder would, would get the, the, that back. The first thing that they would do is they would list it with a national broker and say, you know, and they would try to get whatever, you know, probably the, what the, what their debt number is. Cause they, yeah. they, they have to do that. Then, then, then a guy like me would come in and say, I'll give you 10 million less than the debt. Um, and, uh, then that 10 million would hit their balance sheet or, or, you know, they're as, as uh, this is part of that banking issue, right. You know, so the, they would take a shareholder loss on that extra. I did this before in 08 on a, on a property in San Antonio, we got from bank of America. They had, they were holding 25 million on a property and it had all kinds of work needed. It was 50% vacant. And I negotiated that down to 20 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I raised seven to fix the project. So, uh, so they took a $5 million hit on their debt. And of course that r- ripples through the, you know, the, the bank of America. And, and that uh, that's key. I think people, they, they sit there and they say, well, if interest rates drop, then there's going to be all this bank lending and it, it very well could bail them out. But if we have a significant recession and let's just say that this crisis in the commercial real estate uh, goes another two or three years and you have all of these banks that are receiving the keys back from the landlord, just like this example we just used. And they lent a hundred million on this and they're only able to get 50 million. So all these banks, let's say are taking a 50% haircut on all of, on like half the, the asset side of their balance sheet. And so you've got to put yourself in the position of that banker. You just came this close to going bust, to going out of business because of all these commercial real estate loans that you made. You were barely able to survive by the skin of your teeth, let's say, over the next three years. So how ready are you going to be to go out there and start issuing loans for commercial real estate again, let's say in 2025 or 2026? The answer is is you're going to have PTSD. (laughs) I'm never touching a stupid real estate loan for the rest of my life. There's no way I'm going to lend money to these guys. So then the liquidity pretty much dries up. And that's when you see the kind of the capitulation, those prices go down further to a point where, you know, then you get the real cheap deals. I remember Kenny in 2012. And I know that, you know, you had all those relationships built with the bankers. So this didn't really apply to you. But for me, I didn't have any of those relationships built. And it was impossible for me to get, a, a, a loan, even on the residential properties that I owned outright, I owned a hundred percent of them, and I have a you know seven hundred and fifty credit score. Let's say I have all this cash in the bank, and they won't even give me a line of credit on my real estate portfolio for forty percent LTV. You know why is that? Because they had that PTSD that I was just talking about, and I don't think too many people have um, put enough emphasis on that. Yeah. So, so that's actually starting to show up now, as, as you know, is, is that, that we're, you know, you start to see the, the Silvergate, uh, Silvergate, uh, I actually did a deal with Silvergate, believe it or not, um, back when they were in the, uh, they started in the real estate business. I, I got a, uh, a deal from them in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were the first one to go down then Sil- Silicon Valley. Um, you know, what, what I, I don't think people r- realize is that, um, you, you know, those banks, when they start taking out the, the equity has gone on a lot of those assets, not right. all of them, but you know, so 
if if cap rates go up 20 or from four to five or or even higher you you've lost 20 percent. okay that basically means that equity's gone that means you're already at the debt so or close to it that means that's what that means so so now that's why you're starting to see 50% loan to value right now. And you're starting to see these, these articles out there about whether the Fed's going to raise rates or not. It actually, what it says is the banks are actually tightening their underwriting right now um, based on the, those bank failures. So the bank failures just brought an issue that, you know, we already were seeing, um, you know, we do a lot of F Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac stuff and, it's very common for, for us to get a quote at 50, 55%, maybe 60% loan to value um, in the last three or four months. So we were already dealing with this tightening. Of, when, and just to be clear, Kenny, it was at, let's say, 80% where the banks were willing to lend LTV, and now it's dropped down to 60 or even 50. Yes, sir. Certainly in the 70s, 75s, uh, 80 was probably a little aggressive, but yeah, I know plenty of banks that did 80. So, um, but yeah, so so now, you know, again, they're hedging their risk by giving the borrower half uh, half the value as opposed right. to 75 percent of the value. Of value. Of the current yeah. value. <laughs> yeah. So that's happening right now. And and, uh, you know, just like your example in 2012, we're starting to see that, you know, because they don't know how much of this equity is. You know, I think the Fed is looking at everybody's equity that, you know, let's. Let's, you know, poof, you know, it just magically appeared. Uh, these people didn't do anything for it. And uh, and they're saying, well, you know, we, we could take that down a little bit without really hurting people because the, the equity in people's homes is higher than it's been in a long, long time. Right. So I actually think that's still coming. As far as the residential side or the commercial I, side? Yeah, uh, the residential too. Yep. Huh. Okay. Well, yeah, go into that a little bit. Uh, further because I think that's something that applies to almost all of our listeners or viewers. Yeah. So it's, I, I, I gotta I tell you something funny. I was, I, I, we did a live earlier today and I was looking up on U-Haul. So the, you know, you know, U-Haul track statistics like yeah. Phoenix, uh, you know, Seattle, to Phoenix or LA to Phoenix or whatever. Well, there's on their website today. You'll go on there. They're doing 50% discount for anybody who wants to go Dallas to San Francisco. And I, <laughs> I, I had to laugh. I had to laugh because, you know, that basically means that there, there's no one that wants to go there and they have a bunch of trucks in Dallas. So yeah. I, pretty soon I they're going to start paying people. Yeah. Okay, they're going to start so, paying people just to take the truck back to San Francisco. <laughs> right. Right. So trust me, anybody who wants to make some fast money, just contact U-Haul and see I'll drive as many trucks as you want <laughs> yeah. um, back to California. But um, the point I'm trying to make with that story uh, George, which you do so well through story is the migration patterns of people are creating bubbles in different areas. And that's the, that's the most important thing people need to realize. So, you know, when people move out of Seattle, out of Portland, out of San Francisco, out of uh, Chicago, out of New York or, or New York city or whatever, and they move somewhere else, it, you know, it puts a lot more uh, demand on that economy. So in the school system, in the restaurants, on the rents, on the housing, you know, on everything that, you know, goes on. So that's really the bigger issue to watch, in my opinion. And that and that alone is going to keep real estate values and rents at some point. You know, there's going to be tension there in those markets. Okay. 
on the markets that are losing people, they're in big trouble. Um, And and so you know, so so what happens is you get in this debate on the residential side. Well, not my area, you know, I'm I'm in Orlando and things are going crazy, and that's probably true because a lot of people are going to Florida, a lot of people are going to North Carolina, Texas, Arizona, as an example. Um, but not every uh, but not every market is the same. I guess is kind of the point. And so you have to look at that, and then you have to overlay the interest rate. So. If somebody has a 3% loan, as you know, in a neighborhood and they want to buy the house across the street and it's the same price, they're not going to do it, <laughs> even though it might be fully remodeled because they, they're going from 3% to say 6% interest rate. Yeah. So in other um, words, their mortgage payment goes from 20, from two grand a month to let's say 2750 or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're, everybody's staying put, they have all this equity. And so, yes, there's lower inventory. I get that. And that's kind of the big, that's what everybody's kind of hanging on. Um, and, but if, if these rates, uh, you know, there's a lag effect, as you know, with rates. And um, I think, uh, I think Milton Friedman said it could take a year to three years to, you know, to really see an interest rate effect through the economy, depending on what it is. And, mm. and I think it's just starting to uh, show up. Uh, it certainly shows up immediately on, re- on commercial, but on residential, I don't foresee a crash. So don't get me wrong. I, I don't, but it, it, all it's going to do is favor rentals, you know, cause the single family, uh, single family uh, takes renters. That's what, it, that's what it does. Uh, you know, if I'm a single family builder, I'm going to pull from all my renter base and say, Hey, you can afford a home and I'm going to give you the down payment or whatever. And I'm going to get you out of your rental. So when rental uh, interest rates are high, or I'm sorry, when single family rates are high, uh, the mortgage payment's high. Uh, so there's a bigger gap between rent and mortgage payment. And so what it does is it keeps more people in rentals. So that's why I, I did that video on my channel. We're heading into a, what I would call a renter nation. You know, um, unfortunately, you know, it's not healthy, by the way, to have. Um, you know, uh, this, this number of, 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 of renters, you know, it's not, you know, it's, we were, I think at one time we were up to 68, 69% home ownership and now we're hovering down in the low sixties. Um, and I think we could get even lower. So that means 40% of the, you, you know, the United States could be renters, yeah. um, soon. And yeah, uh, I know Hartman always talks about how he thinks it's going into the fifties, uh, as far as the, the home ownership percentage of the overall let's say adult population but i to your point though people have to realize that it's so area specific and uh what we're seeing play out in a lot of the markets is basically the detroit phenomenon yeah i mean we all know what happened to detroit back in what was it 2010 or 11 or whatever where you know they just have this mass exodus they go bankrupt the housing prices there you know they're literally giving houses away just if you'd take over the the tax payments and whatnot and uh you know why is that Uh, we didn't see the the homeowners go from home renters or home renters go from home owners because you just had a mass decrease in the overall population so that's what we're going to see most likely in a lot of these markets like san francisco is just a big decrease in the amount of population therefore if you've got a, a housing shortage that solves the housing shortage problem really quick when half the population just leaves and goes to Texas. Yeah. And the other big issue, I, I, well, there's two, I I think the first one is, is we went from record savings to record debt in just two years. Hmm. That's beyond belief. 
I mean, you yeah. think about it, you know, in 2019 or late 2019, we, we were at eight, uh, over 8% savings rate, which was very, very, very good at the time. And now we're at like three. All that says is that people are getting into debt and they're blowing through their savings. And, and um, so that's number one. And the, the reason why that's important is because they're also paying 20% on their credit cards. So, you, you know, this stuff is getting further and further away from, you know, the, the normal person. And, and so, you, you know, you, and then got, Kenny, have you seen bank deposits? I think you, I've, I've talked about this a couple of times today. Let me do a quick screenshot. Yeah, I think you'll yeah. get a kick out of this. I think you'll Love really find it. this interesting. Can you oh, see this chart? That. Look at that chart. Wow. Look at that, dude. So you, so this is the percentage change from a year ago as far as the aggregate total of deposits in, in the whole commercial banking system. So you can see going into COVID, you know, the amount of deposits was growing at, let's say, 5% per year. We know what happened with the stimulus checks. It just skyrockets up to, call it 20 uh, 23%. And then it not only, I mean, obviously just plummets, just falls out of bed, but it doesn't go back to kind of the historic norm, let's say 5%. Now it's negative. The amount of, of, of deposits in aggregate total has gone negative to the tune of like 5% year over year. Yeah. So I, 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 uh, I hadn't seen that chart, but I've, I've, I've been following other metrics. The other thing that scares the heck out of me, George, is that, you know, obviously we're sitting at, let's say five or 6% reported inflation, but, um, the wages, uh, our unemployment is like three, six, I think. So yeah, the, the real right. wages are, are, are down negative. Yeah. So, you know, so you, you add that you add, you know, the Fed wants to, to grow unemployment. I mean, they've said they want to grow unemployment. So if you do that and then add that on top of what you just showed. Right. I, I think, you know, uh, this is why I believe that you're not going to see um, there's no cash out refis going on. You know, Bitcoin's, <laughs> you know, you know, nobody's talking about that anymore. So so I, I you know, what what is positive right now? What can people make money on today? like one year ago, like it was, seems like people could do anything and uh, you know, money would just show up. That's gone right now. And, and I think, so the, the right thing to do is for people to, to get into cash in, in some kind of form of a T-bill or, and, and get ready for, you know, some of these uh, ripple effects that are going to be a, a result of all this. Is that what you and Ross have done as you, as far as your strategy uh, and that's something that is, if it is, I think that's something that everybody could re replicate, even if they're not a, you know, even if they don't own $2 billion of the real estate, they can basically take the concept of what you're doing and apply it to their own personal financial situations. So are you guys just trying to accumulate as much cash as you can, all that dry powder, and yep. then just kind of see how this plays out? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, what happens is we've already been offered stuff, right? And we're like, eh, you know, it's too early. So, uh, you know, cash is king. And, and yeah. so whether you have it or, you know, somebody with it and you have a strategy, you're going to be just fine. Uh, you, you know, if, if the economics and the math play out, but to your point, the other thing is obviously I, I you know, you can talk about this. Um, I'm sure a lot is do what the feds are, you know, do what they are doing all around the world. You know, they're buying gold, um, yeah, right. and, you know, just instead of, uh, you know, uh, just, 
be the fed right <laughs> don't get mad at the fed just be the fed so that cash um and then we're we're doing nightly sweeps you know into uh into high interest bearing accounts until uh you know until we see uh you know a good opportunity i don't know if you can disclose this kenny if you can't no problem but did, are you and ross managing your cash position differently than you did prior to silicon valley bank what i mean by that is i know that you've got a hell of a lot more than 250 grand yeah and, and yeah. I, you know and you've probably got that in multiple accounts but I, I don't know if in one account you maybe had a lot more and is your strategy different there like you're like okay we need to have less exposure to the commercial banking system so we need to have more of our cash uh cushion in t-bills or uh, something that isn't a uh, liability of a commercial bank that can go bust. So great question. Um, yes, we are doing something very differently. So we have um, a lot of cash. And so just to give you an example, we, we have at least six months reserves in every, on every asset. Right, right. So, you know, we have close to 40 assets and well, we have 40 assets. So I, I you know, it's a fair amount, you, you know, so, you know, you're talking about quite a bit of money. So what we did is we looked at that. Luckily, Ross used to be the a president of a savings and loan. He understands the business. And so we went and, and set up our, uh, our money so that, uh, we have, it's, it's basically being swept because we were yeah, making so you're moving into a money market fund. Yep. So yeah, yeah. You're, we're, you're reducing I, your, your exposure to the overall banking system. Yeah, and, and we were able to do that in a money market at four and a quarter, which is not the greatest, but I didn't want it to be tied up in a three-month uh, treasury, right. uh, which I know I could get more. But uh, so that was part of the strategy is, you know, we have a lot of money. Like if, if we'll, if for example, on a cash-out refi or let's say we might have two, three, four million in one bank account just for that one property mm -hmm. because – you know, if we're doing $15,000 a unit and there's 300 units, you know, you have to have that cash to pay, you know, as you're renovating and stuff like that. So, um, you know, so we have a significant amount of money that we immediately went back and said, uh Oh, we better take a look at this. Yeah. So then I guess the people listening or watching this need to think about how that, I mean, if you're doing that, then there's a lot of guys and gals in your space and, and as entrepreneurs that are doing the exact same thing. And you got to say, okay, well, how is that going to impact the commercial banking system moving forward? And how is that going to impact lending conditions? You know, that, that leads me to believe that the banks are going to be lending a lot less for the rest of 2023. They're going to be very risk averse compared to 2021, 2022. Yeah. And, well, and also, you know, when, when, when we have money with a bank, that's an expense to the bank. I, I think a lot of people don't, you know, they need to understand that it's actually a liability to the bank. Yeah. Right. So it's not good if you're the bank. Uh, I just, I was reading this morning that Apple came out. Uh, they're now a bank. So they, they're offering a 4.1% for 4.15, I think percent money market uh, Apple. Mm. So they're, they're going to come out. I, I was thinking of that this morning. I was like, okay, so what's that, what's that going to do to the regional banks? Uh, yeah. I mean, I just right. I haven't researched that at all, but right off the top of my head, <laughs> I would rather have Apple as a counterparty than, than some of these banks. That's my point <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Right. This is exactly right. It's a brilliant move <laughs> and, and they're backed by Goldman. So, 
you know, you're it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's very important that people keep their eye on this. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. All right, Kenny, we'll go ahead and leave it there. If you guys want more of these insights, you've got to come to Rebel Capitals Live. Kenny's going to be there, Jason Hartman. You're going to get your fix uh, for what's happening in the real estate market. But then we also have Peter Schiff, Mike Maloney, Chris McIntosh, Lynn Alden, Jeff Snyder, Brent Johnson. So we're going to cover all the bases as far as gold, uh, macro, even get in some Bitcoin. So you got to get your tickets ASAP to Rebel Capitalist Live. Just go to rebelcapitalistlive.com. Kenny, you want to tell them about your YouTube channel and yep. uh, anything that you got going on in social media? Of course, you bet. Yeah, so we have um, obviously kenmacroy.com. We have Ken McElroy Official. And of course, um, we have the collective that George and I are involved in, which is our mastermind. We have that. We have four meetings a year. And then I have Limitless in June. 15th through 17th, which George is going to pipe in for as well on uh, in Scottsdale. And we have 40 speakers for that. So, you know, we're just trying to do whatever we can, George, to stay ahead of this. Like yep. you, I want to learn from the big brains. Uh, I'm just grateful to be around them and, and to learn. And, and I take action based on a lot of what they say. So uh, during times like this, this is actually when you need to be a rebel capitalist. This is when you when you need to come to Limitless because there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and, uh, I can't wait to hear from Robert, which by the way, Robert might be coming with me to rebel capitalist. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. I got room. Uh, I said, Hey, I, you know, so guys, I just say, he's talking about Robert Kiyosaki. Just yeah. Robert much. Kiyosaki. <laughs> uh, but he, he was just, uh, he was, uh, he was meeting with Jamie diamond and, uh, Peter Thiel yesterday. Uh, huh. and I can't wait to hear about that. So, so, uh, hopefully he can join us. Uh, he, he'll just jump on with me. And as I shoot out there in Florida, to, uh, to be at rebel capitals, can't wait to go. Can't wait to mm. see all those guys and hear what they have to say. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. All right, Kenny, appreciate your time today, buddy. Uh, be safe and we'll see you in May in Orlando. Okay. Sounds good, George. See you. Bye-bye.